incredible time. It's an incredible time to be on the ATP podcast. This is Around the Post episode 172. Friends of the show, Breakpoint, how are you guys doing? Mark Figueroa, how are you doing? Good, good. A lot of uh, news to talk about and last week's uh, news that I didn't get to bring up because of the Breakpoint stuff. It's good news. I love to hear it. Last week's episode did very well and I think this one's going to do pretty well too. Where do we start though? All right, we're going to start with Breakpoint. So we have uh, our boy Jay Kasai here, who, it, who ended up on episode four of Breakpoint. Mm. If you heard, <clears throat> excuse me, if you heard the, uh, seen the show, he is in the scene where Medvedev is in a car and it's as if he's listening to the radio. And our boy here tries to hype him up saying that, he surpassed Zverev and all that stuff. All right. I hate to break, I hate to give you and deliver some bad news to you, but Medvedev said in an interview, mm-hmm. uh, I've been told about Breakpoint. I've heard about it, but I really didn't listen to it. Mm. it it's, it's just, they hype it up. It's not real life. Mm-hmm. And he ended it. Uh, do you feel bad about that? No, I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> so your boy Medvedev didn't didn't listen to your part. That's fine. Um, I do love that. My part aside, I do love his response and that he doesn't want to get caught up in the the drama and controversy of the tennis world or the perception that could be put around your name. And he wants to focus on himself and his journey and his athletic career, which was a very mature response. So good job, Medvedev. Oh, I thought you would have brought more thunder than that. No, I, I like Medvedev. And I think he probably did the right thing. But Med, I have only love for you. So you should listen to the ATP podcast at the very least. Okay, there you go. And yeah. and and Medvedev, he did say that uh, you surpassed Zverev a long time ago. So there you go. Which is a fact. <laughs> that is a fact. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm going to bring the thunder from last week for sure. Mm. I was going to start off with the facts, but I'm going to bring the thunder. So... Uh, Naomi Osaka, as you know, came back, lost in the first round. We'll talk about that a little later. Mm -hmm. Uh, She wrote a book, and in her memoir, she said that Serena Williams, when she lost to Serena, when Naomi Osaka beat Serena Williams at the U.S. Open, Mm -hmm. how she was the hero telling the crowd to be quiet because they were booing Osaka for being Serena. Mm -hmm. Well, she said that in the back where nobody was, she actually threw away her runners-up trophy. She mm. said, you know what? I don't play for second place. And she threw the trophy away. What are your thoughts on that? Look, let me put some things in a perspective for people who maybe don't remember this scenario in this time. Serena Williams was coming to Grand Slams with one goal and one thing to do only. Get her last slam. That's it. This was not her last or this was not her first time losing in a final. She had been on a consecutive streak of finals losses before this. And she was supposed to win this one. I totally get why Serena did that. Do you know how many trophies Serena Williams has? For first place? Alone? What is she going to do with that trinket? Look, I get it. I... If I were her, I'd go, I have nowhere to put this second place trophy anyway. I didn't come for this. I'm not happy with my performance. I'm not happy with the situation. I'm pissed. Um, I'm here for it. 
you could say it was bad sportsmanship or no. whatnot, but at the same time, you have to look at it that at that point, she was losing final after final after final. After final. After final. So after a while, it, it just gets annoying. Yeah. And the human side of her came out. So yeah. I, I understand completely mm-hmm. and I don't falter. And at the same time, she is a competitor with a very strong mentality. Mm-hmm. So actually, to me, that's sort of saying, uh, I'm not here for a second. I'm here to win. Yeah. So it's that uh, dog mentality. So I can appreciate that. Yeah. So I don't I don't really see a big, big deal. But obviously, a lot of people did see it. Oh, uh, Serena was a poor loser. She needs to show more class, stuff like that. That's so lame to say. Yes. Those are people who don't play sports saying that. Right. But now comes the second part. Now, for the longest time, I wondered, why did Naomi Osaka get rid of Sasha Bayan? Mm. Because it was, they won multiple slams together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why did this happen? Obviously, this is old news, but it's just good to know finally what it was. Mm-hmm. So here, uh, Sasha Bayan had set up a hit with a player that is uh, below 50 or 60 in the world mm-hmm. with Naomi Osaka. Osaka was, you know what? I'm not feeling this hit. Mm-hmm. But he tried to organize it and it was planned, but then something came up. Mm-hmm. There was a rumor that Bayern was dating this player. Mm. And then all of a sudden he denied it. And then a couple of days later, and then if you recall correctly, there was silence. You didn't mm. hear. Uh, and then a couple of days later, Bayern said, it's true. Mm. I'm dating this player. And then Osaka said, you broke my trust. I don't want anything to do with you. And that's how the relationship ended. Unprofessionalism. What are your thoughts on that? It's unfortunate when you have something working and doing all the right things on the professional side. And someone breaks the code and breaks principles and breaks trust. And I respect Naomi Osaka for standing up for herself and standing behind what she believes, which is you're trying to take advantage of me and use me as a platform to look good for the ladies. That girl ain't even top 50, boy. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I totally get it. Um, I think she was in the right. It's unfortunate. You know, I feel bad for her. You know, because she had a working machine and formula and system, yes. and this guy had to just come in and screw it up. And even if she did keep him around, she's going to have this tick in the back of her head about this guy that she can no longer rely on and trust in the same way. She did the right thing. It's unfortunate. Yes. Yeah, so for the longest time, again, I was just wondering, they've just won multiple slams together. Uh, it's a working machine. Why are they breaking it off? But now the truth came out, and it is unfortunate. But now we're going to get to Naomi Osaka again. She played Caroline Garcia. She lost in the first round. Mm. Is there any thoughts on her performance? You know, Naomi Osaka for me, obviously there's a few things that she could have done better to win. That's a fact. But this was a respectable loss and a good returning loss to me. I saw Naomi Osaka struggling on her return in a few places. She was making adjustments on the fly, on the court. She started stepping back for certain serves. She was being aggressive with her forehand. And her serve wasn't in peak performance, but she served okay. Um, I liked it. You know, I think she got a tough draw, and that was expected. So Naomi Osaka should have her head held high and should be still aiming for a great season on the hard courts. I think her game was solid. When when she didn't have to move for the ball, her game was extremely 
good. Mm. As soon as she had to take a couple of steps, you can tell mm. that her feet weren't underneath her. Navratilova stated this herself. She said, I'm surprised that she came back underneath poor uh, conditioning. She didn't have full conditioning. And she said, I don't even know why she came back so soon. Yeah. She needed to be better conditioned than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I like that she came back. And I, I'm glad she isn't coming back, trying to wait for the perfect storm with the perfect body and conditions. And she's just getting out there and seeing what the... <clears throat> getting out there and she's seeing what the the temperature's like, you know, out there on the tour. Because, you know, a lot of times we've seen players come back before their perfect condition and get results. Uh, a la Serena Williams, who there was a period in time where we were saying she was at 65% of her best tennis and she was making finals. So I like it. You know, I wish some of these other players would take notes from her. And when you're actually not hurt anymore, maybe you're not in the best conditioning, but just get out there and make some money, play some match play, get your mind right, get match focused and get conditioned as you go. Yes, her shots were there. Everything was there. Yeah. Her serve was popping. Uh, she just didn't get a lot of break points. Mm-hmm. Uh, she really struggled returning serve. She didn't and, quite figure it out. <clears throat> yes, and that's that is very unfortunate for sure. But uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, as far as the conditioning is concerned, I guess she could have prepped a little better. But again, when is the right time to come back? So I'm not uh, truly upset mm-hmm. at the fact that she did. But she did release her schedule up until the French Open. She said she was going to play Dubai. Then she was going to play Indian Wells, Miami. Then she was going to play the clay court event in the United States, which is Charleston. Mm-hmm. And then this is the first time in a while that she's going to play a full clay court season. Normally, mm-hmm. she doesn't do that. But she's willing to put the grind in. Uh, any thoughts on that? It sounds to me like she wants points. She wants to get her ranking higher to be prepared for the U.S. Open. Um, that's my take there. And I think it's the right call. I think that if there's anything that's going to get you in shape mentally and physically, it is the clay court season. So I'm looking forward to seeing how she does at Indian Wells and Miami um, for the Sunshine Double. And then I anticipate her completing her rebuilding phase after the clay swing. That's when we'll know exactly what kind of Naomi Osaka will have for the next five to ten years. Yes. So... It's going to be a great year for her. It's going to be a very big year for her as far as what her future beholds. And yeah, I'm I'm optimistic. You know, I think that the fact she's going into the clay, she's in higher spirits. I think that good things are coming. Yes, I like the fact that she's willing to put the grind, especially on clay. That means that she's here to stay and she means business. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to get to Iga. Uh, it depends when you listen to this uh, podcast. She just survived Danielle Collins. She was down 3-1 in the third. Uh, Apparently, she had some sort of knee issue, but she ended up winning the match. So, good for her. But now to the news. Um, A lot of people are complaining that Federer, which is the prior owner of On, the the clothing line that Iga and Ben Shelton wear, they're saying that Iga's kit, which is her clothing, isn't as good as Ben Shelton's. The people are saying this is a generational player that doesn't have the proper attire. We're talking about a four-time slam champion. You can't give her the proper respect. What are your thoughts on that? What is she supposed to be wearing exactly? I'm confused by that statement. Her I think, her kit, not I good think her kit is decent. It's yeah. not as if it's bad. 
Yeah, and in her whole career thus far, she's worn just regular clothes. You know, she hasn't been a big fashionista or a big statement maker with her wardrobe. She's been an athlete that wears what's comfortable, what makes sense, and she stays sponsored. I don't see any issues with what she's doing. And I don't take her to be a Venus or an Osaka or Serena, these people who got to wear these pieces when they come onto the court or when they're off the court. You know, our biggest thing we can even associate with Iga in terms of wardrobe is at the finals when she ordered her dress early. Yes. And she said, I'm not mm-hmm. switching. That's the craziest thing we can think of. So I think she's on point. I think she's fine. Yes, you wore that red dress and everybody else wore white. Yeah. That was pretty funny. So now the big news is that she became the brand ambassador of Lego. Now, she says that she uses Legos for her mental health and that it helps her relax. So uh, she is the new brand ambassador for Legos. Any thoughts on that? I think that's super awesome. Um, I love to see that. And that's a first for me from any tennis player, I think. Yes. So, yeah. Huge win. I do consider Iga Swiatek to be a cerebral athlete, a conscious athlete, and a driven and focused player. Um, So her being an ambassador for Legos is spot on. I love it. I like it as well. Now the big upset was uh, Vadrasova, the Wimbledon champion. She lost in the first round. Now she's been struggling, hasn't been playing up to far in the uh, WTA finals. She did not play well at all uh any thoughts you said von Silva? yes the wimbledon champion uh i i didn't even watch her match she lost one and two <sighs> in the first round <sighs> um i can't say she's someone who stays on my radar i can't say that i had high hopes for her i can't say i had high expectations one and two for a slam champion is alarming though in the first round in the first round that's extremely alarming so that should be an area of concern for her and her team. Yes. Sure. Now, I believe, not I believe, it is. The Netflix curse continues. So we got Anj Jabor, who was in season one of Breakpoint. Mm-hmm. She lost in the second round to Mira Andreva. She is the up-and-comer. I mm-hmm. guess that's sort of good, but at the same time, she is ranked a lot higher. Mm-hmm. Andreva recorded her first top 10 victory against Anz Jabor. Mm-hmm. Did you expect a better result for Anz over Andreva? That's a tough one for me to call. Um, I don't consider Anz necessarily on fire, but, you know, I do think she she drew a, a tough draw and maybe got a little blindsided, you know, Um She's got to do better, though. You know, those are the matches that separate the big five or four, the big the big players from everyone else. You have to win those matches specifically. You know, Iga with Collins, she won. She yes. found a way, you know, and that's no different. So I think that Ons has some figuring out to do to find a bit better of a consistency. Um, I, I don't know what she's going to do. You know, it seems like she comes up short in a lot of matches. And she's got to figure out a way to find a level of consistency for her highest level. And after that Wimbledon final, when she lost to Vadrasova, she hasn't been up to par. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, she lost to Andreva 0-2. So that's that's not a good sign for a, a finalist that knows how to play and make it to the top 10. The, yeah. the other one, although 
I don't know if you can call this a curse or not, but Sakari loses again in the second round. Now, ever since making the semifinals in 2021, I believe it was at the U.S. Open, Mm -hmm. her deepest run in a major has been the fourth round. So, Sakari, the Netflix curse is definitely consistent for you. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Sakari has something going on that transcends any Netflix curse, any anything at all. She is stuck in a rut. She needs to change things drastically at this point. She needs to look at everything around her and hit the erase button and start with a clean slate. There's no other way around it. Um, she's been in this rut for over a year now. Yes. So um, it's time to make changes. We obviously know it's not a fitness issue. And her game doesn't seem technically wrong. So is it mental? Is there something that wrong mentally? And what are you going to do to change it? Or, you know, create some type of new game plan to reinforce good things for yourself. If you're not willing to make the adaptations and make complete changes around yourself, why would you get different results? You know, so Sakuri, until we see her fire higher or do something, which we've seen all of the greats do, she's not going to make any growth or changes or progress. Apparently, she's trying really hard to make a change because she did go through a <clears throat> racket change. Now, she's been with uh, Wilson. She she did go to another Wilson, but this frame is a little thicker. Mm. And she said that it's supposed to help her with speed and uh, topspin. Mm-hmm. And her team was all, wow, to make a change, within, uh, you haven't changed a stick in about 10, 15 years. And now you're going to do that a couple of weeks prior to the Australian Open. And I guess it didn't pay off. Mm. So, excuse me. So now we're going to talk about, since we're still on the uh, Netflix um, curse. curse, we're going to talk about Tiafo. Oh. Now, Tiafo is in the second season of Breakpoint. talk about it? <laughs> and he just lost in the second round. Oh, man. He's been making very good progress, but he didn't find his footing. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Tiafo, I don't even know who he lost to. And what I mean by that is I know who he lost to. I don't know who the guy is. Um, I don't really know the history of the player he lost to. What I can tell you is he played Borna Koric in the first round and won, um, which was a great win. You know, it's a very confidence-building win. And then he came out and lost to a guy I haven't heard of, and I'm not really sure what to think of it. So, yeah, Tiafo's, um, I'm concerned. I'm concerned for him. Yes. Uh, again, he just didn't find footing. And uh, he needs to go back to the drawing board for sure. And then the last casualty of Breakpoint is Berrettini. He was scheduled to play and then withdrew last minute hmm. with a right foot injury. Hmm. So I guess the Netflix curse is real. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, Berrettini, I think, I think we can kind of write him off i think berrettini has peaked for for us on the tour yes i hate to be that guy to write someone off but between the injuries and the mindset and the the back end i i think he's in a lot of big trouble and he's got a long hard hike up a mountain to climb if he wants to get back to where he was yes i agree and now going on to the men now before we get to the men we're going to talk about curios he started a lot of drama prior to the Australian Open. 
he said that he talked about Cash, Becker, and McEnroe. He said, these guys are old. They don't know how to adapt. They don't know how the game has changed. Mm. And this is a quote. He said, I have had lunch with these guys, dinner with these guys. I've showered with these guys. And I was, okay, I don't want to know what you're doing. <laughs> but he said, but then he said, McEnroe hasn't played in decades. So he doesn't have the knowledge I have of these guys. I want his spot. What are your thoughts on that? Mm. He has no right to want McEnroe's spot, first and foremost. He needs to know his place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I will say this, though. Nick Kyrgios is an excellent media personality, a phenomenal commentator, extremely knowledgeable, and charismatic. I think he's great in media. I don't think that he's so great he needs to replace John McEnroe. Uh, John McEnroe is also excellent in media, an excellent commentator, unbiased, no fear when he speaks because he's already accomplished what he felt he needed to, and... I think that there's a place in the media world for both of them. Um, that's the my political answer. And at the end of the day, he'll never have John McEnroe's spot because John McEnroe is a top 10 in history legend and did it while being a bad boy and quote unquote controversial. That's true. You know, uh, Nick Kyrgios has everyone's respect. He's an excellent showman. He's shown he's able to beat the best players in history, but he has not done what McEnroe has done. He's just also a really cool guy to listen to. He, What I do love about him is he's a player who did navigate the tour beating top 10 players, coaching himself. Yes. And that's something to really think to yourself, okay, if this guy's able to analyze other players and beat them on the pro tour, maybe it would be nice to be able to pick his brain and hear his thoughts on these things. So I think he belongs where he's at. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Quick little story on John McEnroe. Now, he used to get upset when people from this generation didn't know who he was as a player. And they would say, you're a wonderful announcer. You're your top-notch announcer. And McEnroe would actually get upset at that. But here's another quick story. He actually applied to be on Monday Night Football hmm. and, and did not get a timely response. So they ended up giving the gig to Dennis Miller. So John McEnroe knows his stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, for and and that tells you that he knows multiple sports. Mm -hmm. So Kyrgios, I know he was trying to start drama, but he definitely needs to know his role and just relax a little bit. Mm -hmm. So now we're gonna get the Stefano Sissi pass. Now before this funny quote, he says he's experimenting with a pinpoint serve. He said that he wants to get a little more pop a la Yannick Sinner and that he tried it and uh, he tried it in the first round and he's going to continue on with it. Any thoughts on that? Say that for me one more time. Uh, he's trying to pinpoint serve. He had a platform serve, mm. but he's trying to pinpoint serve a la Yannick Sinner to get more pace like Yannick Sinner did. Mm -hmm. That was the big change that uh, Cahill did for uh, Yannick. Yeah. Um, I, I don't dislike the plan or idea, but it's just, does it feel to you like a lot of the tour is kind of scrambling? Um, 
it feels like a lot of players are making drastic changes in 2024. Um, I'm a little curious about it because I never felt like these type of things happened at this level or often seven or eight years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, like when we heard a player switched coaches, it was big news. If we heard a player switched rackets, it was big news. And now I feel like players are changing the way they swing rackets, the way they serve, who their coaches are, what racket they're holding, like clockwork. Players are changing shoes the day of a match, you know? So uh, what are your thoughts on the frequency of these adjustments and changes? I just think it's, uh, they want answers now. Yeah. Uh, Djokovic is still the man. Yeah. And there has to be drastic changes. Mm -hmm. That's what that tells me. But as far as the pinpoint is concerned, Mm -hmm. the pinpoint is supposed to help you with balance on your serve. Yeah. He's still falling to the left because his toss is behind his head. Yeah. So he needs to fix his ball toss, which is basic. Yeah. So he needs to fix that before even changing to a pinpoint surf so i i don't know what he's doing he did win the match but we'll see how much that helps him Mm -hmm. now the funny part i'm just gonna read it there are younger kids on the block now who want to show off their new cars and i need to show off mine still like novak djokovic and that is not over i still think my old looking car is still pretty cool it's vintage stefano's sissy pass what are your thoughts on that? You're not that old, man. And what is he driving? <laughs> <sighs> There's something unusual about this man. I don't get it. And I don't know if you have more of his quotes. He has another quote that he said at the end of his uh, latest match. But You can, you can say that one. Okay. Yeah. Well, to, to give you a full response to what you said, this man is a Looney Tune. <laughs> Talking about... Him having a vintage car and uh, these young guys want to show off. I think that what he really is saying is, look, I was already feeling pressure from above me. Now I feel it from below me as well. The yes. younger guys are applying pressure and the older guys are still applying pressure as well. And I'm caught in the middle and I just wanted to let you guys know I haven't fully given up. That's what I get from it. Well, apparently he needs some modifications on that vintage car because he's trying to pinpoint. Yeah. So apparently that vintage car isn't good enough. Well, look, this is what he said at the end of his match during the post-interview. The the pro said, um, they came up and interviewed him, and they said, hey, or speaking of media, John McEnroe said, hey, why haven't you won one? An Australian Open. What's stopping you? His response was, well, um, I think that I'm doing a lot of the right things, but unfortunately... There's a man who has won 10 of these. And until he's feeling gracious enough to be less selfish and can wake up one day and go, hmm, I'm not going to be selfish today. One of two things has to happen from Stefano Sisipa. Stefano Sisipa is either going to have to get lucky and watch someone else beat Djokovic or he's going to have to beat Djokovic. That's the only ways that I will win a Grand Slam at the Australian Open. I went. That's a very interesting response. <laughs> he basically said, if Djokovic isn't willing to give it up, it's not going to happen. And he also relented and said, look, I would love it if someone else took him out because I'll happily take them out after. So 
um, I can tell that he still hasn't mentally decided he's going to take it to Novak when he's playing his best tennis. And it's a mentality that we don't see issues with Yannick Sinner and Alcaraz. Yes. Who are willing to play the best version of Djokovic and win. So he, he's not ready yet. Well, going back to that quote that he said, these younger cars, the mm-hmm. 2025 Mustangs, <laughs> uh, which is Sinner and Alcaraz, mm-hmm. uh, they're ready. They're ready to show off. Mm-hmm. They beat Djokovic. And they're ready. Yeah. So, uh, poor Stefanos has a little problem here. Yeah, he does. And now, perfect transition. Holger Runa made a statement as well and said, you know what? Uh, Djokovic winning everything is getting a little boring. Mm. We need more. <clears throat> we need more drama and we need more champions. Mm. Now, Sinner beats Djokovic. I can beat Djokovic. Alcaraz has proven he can beat Djokovic in the big stage, but it needs to be done in the big stage, not the small stage. Mm-hmm. And that's what Runa said. Do you agree with him? He's saying the same thing everyone says. This is getting boring. Someone has to stop him. We've been hearing this for five or six years straight. And Novak's been the boring dominant athlete since 2011, 2015. Um, and the only people who've gotten in his path and slowed him down are... Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal and we've had short stints and spurts from a few other people but nothing to say that they slowed him down so Holger it is getting boring but what are you going to do about it you know (laughs) just saying it's getting boring is not enough you know people have been saying that for a long time and people have been trying to stop him for a long time so I don't think that Holger is going to be the guy to make the big change but I like that he's not talking like Sisipa. Yeah. You know, I do like that, you know, and hopefully that that means at least he's a step ahead of him. That's yeah. all I can say. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. He's at mm-hmm. least trying to say, "All right, well, I have a chance I've beaten him, so maybe I can transfer it into 3 out of 5." Yeah, he's not vocalizing, "I hope he just gives up and yes. stops wanting it bad." Exactly. <laughs> you know, he's so, saying he's going to go take it, so. Yes, exactly. So, we're going to go to uh our guy, poor Murray, he lost in the first round. And he said, this is definitely, most likely, my last Australian Open. Mm. Any thoughts on that? Um, It's unfortunate. You know, Andy Murray has been losing some tough matches to good players, you know. And I get it. You know, he, this is a guy who's used to winning. I wouldn't like the way he's losing either. You know, I genuinely wouldn't. But, you know, his last few matches, he lost to Grigor Dimitrov, Dimonor, um, Echeverry, and, uh, yeah, Dimonor again, Karetsev, Dimitrov again. He's losing to great players. He's not losing to Joe Schmo Randos, you know. I think that he's discouraged because he can't get his ranking high enough to avoid these juggernaut players. Um, I think that what's got to happen for Andy Murray is he needs a breakthrough somewhere to get his confidence and morale back up. And if he can get that, we'll see him again. I think the key one is he needs to stop trying to go to all these 1000s and 500s and collect at these 250s. I understand that his headspace is my body's not built for that grind anymore where I play 25 tournaments in a year and I try to play every other week and try to 
grind it up and build my points that way. He's trying to go to a Masters 1000 and get some big points quick. And it's not working. You know, he's drawing Berrettini Kokonakis back-to-back at Australian Open. He's drawing Alex Dimonor right before he beats Djokovic. Safwin right before he beats a top-five player. Echeverry right before he lights up on fire. You know, he's playing guys that are on runs or building momentum. So I think Andy Murray just needs to be patient with himself. What's happening is that he's on past glory. He knew what he can do. Mm. And now he's all, I'm not at that level. So he's just pushing himself. Mm. And that could be detrimental. But um, if he can find it, I hope that he does because he's really good for the game. And I hope he can find it quick. He's not playing low level tennis. No, he's not. He's not. You know, I do think that he needs to make a major, major adjustment and adapt on the court. Andy Murray's biggest fault right now is his tactics and strategy on the court are that of Andy Murray from eight years ago. Right. Federer stopped doing that. Nadal stopped doing that. Djokovic stopped doing that. All of them are taking the ball earlier and playing more offensively because they cannot afford to be out there for an extra two hours. Yes. Why hasn't Murray done that? Yeah, they adjusted and he's not. So yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. I don't get it. No. So now we're going to go to a pretty cool story. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have... Uh, the first Indian player to collect a victory in the AO main draw since 1989. Oh. Yes. And his name is Summit Nagal. Not Nadal. Nagal. Okay. Yes. Now, he defeated Bublik. Oh. Yes. And he's the first Indian player in the AO draw to get a win since 1989. Pretty cool story. As a matter of fact, uh, five months ago, he had about... Uh, 700 bucks in his account and now he's second round I don't know if he lost in the second round or not Not I don't know if he's played yet but now he's in the second round and he's collected a nice little chunk of change yeah uh, any thoughts on that um, he's still active um, I will say this Bublik was I think one of the last seeds of the whole tournament like 32 or 31 so he's taking over a seeded route to the final quote unquote not a very good route but um, he's playing a non-seeded player tonight, and we'll see where he goes. Uh, for those of you who don't know, just making it past the first round is more than $10,000. Yes, you know, easily. You're, you're making good money, so good for him. Yes, and as a matter of fact, Bublik was playing fairly well prior to uh, he was. the Australian Open. He was playing good tennis. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, let me ask you a quick question. Um, the new big three, Runa... Uh, Alcaraz and Sinner. Sinner did not play a tune-up tournament prior to the Australian Open. The other guys did. Uh, do you think that's a good tactic? Uh, I think it works in their favor. I know that all three of them did show up to Australia early and acclimate themselves to playing at um, the Australian conditions and you know in the Southern Hemisphere. And a lot of them, I don't know if you saw, but they did like little exhibition-y kind of things. Yes. So they got out there and they hit some balls. And I think that that's probably better for their bodies because they all, all three of them played long 2023s. Yes. Long 2023s. So they're all going, look, we got a lot of points. We'll take a little week off or two. <laughs> you know, they, got, they extended the holiday and just went out there and hit some balls. So I think they made the right call. I think it's a brilliant move. Yeah. Uh, if you recall when Nadal won the U.S. Open, Mm. Um, Djokovic went to Cincinnati. Mm. Uh, Nadal went to Toronto, played there, then went to the U.S. Open straight 
Mm-hmm. If, if Skip Cincinnati got acclimated to the weather, mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So I think it's a brilliant move by the new big three. When you to can do afford that. it points wise, smart move. Yes, I agree 100%. So now uh, I hate not mentioning our boy Alcaraz, but I'm going to. So he said that this time he's not focused at the number one spot. He's just going to play. He said that he learned from his mistake at the end of last year, mm-hmm. which was, I want the number one spot. And he was focused on everything Djokovic did. This time he says, I'm just going to do my own thing. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Big wisdom. Very big wisdom. <laughs> um, I like this mentality. I respected the obsession, but also, look, man, you've got 20 more years potentially left in your career if your body stays up to par. Don't chase the number one ranking. Chase peaking where you need to peak at the right events and tournaments. That's the most important thing you can do. And that's the thing that the big players do. So I think he learned his lesson early. I think he's learned it well. And I'm excited to see how it treats him throughout the entire season this year. Yes, I agree. And now the last topic. Djokovic finally tells the truth. So at the U.S. Open, when he beat Ben Shelton... He said, I like that celebration, so I'm going to emulate it, show some respect. Well, he admitted that he did that to calm Ben Shelton down. And he said that whenever people show disrespect, he's going to act disrespectful. And that was his true reasoning to do it, not to emulate Ben Shelton. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Look. I absolutely love it. And I already knew that. I didn't buy that. I thought it was a cool celebration. I didn't buy that for a second. You know, um, Djokovic does not like when people get a little bit hot for a little while and start getting cocky against all the other players on the tour. Because Djokovic is going, I've been that guy for a decade. Why are you so excited? Come stop me first. (laughs) You know, and I think Djokovic enjoys being almost the hill personality. You know, the... Right when someone thinks they're going to be the new hero, Djokovic goes, nah, you're not ready yet. Come back when you practice more. Um, And he put him in his place. Shelton's press conference was hilarious after that happened. He went, yeah, Djokovic has that dog in him like me. What are you talking about? (laughs) So... um, I'm a big fan of it. I, I like he came out and said it. I feel like everyone already knew it. I don't think this is news. But I love that he actually did vocalize it as if we didn't already know it. He should have just vocalized it from the get-go. Absolutely. That would have been clean, sick, everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the fact that he said it four months later, come on now. Yeah. But here's the thing. Djokovic was doing Ben Shelton in 2005, six. Mm-hmm. He was retiring from matches. He couldn't breathe. So he was at that point. So for him now to be the almighty and Mm -hmm. shut people down i think that's pretty funny Mm -hmm. now there was an incident here with a fan in his prior match Mm -hmm. he actually called out a fan and said that uh it has not been revealed what the fan said but he said you want to do something about it say it to my face i invite you to come down Mm -hmm. and then obviously the guy didn't come down and then Djokovic is all pretty much that's what i thought Mm-hmm. So, see, he antagonizes fans. Mm-hmm. Ben Shelton's just doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? 
I like it. I, I'm sorry. I I like Djokovic's attitude. Um, people think that they get a free pass to talk insane to you as a professional athlete, and Djokovic is going, "Look, bro, it's a free pass to come onto this court." And the player, uh, these fans are going, "Oh, oh, oh accountability is that?" No, thank you. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. They don't want to actually say the things they're saying to people, and they're not. They wouldn't say these things to Djokovic on the street. So why are you saying them in a match? You know, I don't know what the fan said at all. I yes. really don't. But I do know that uh, Kyrio said in media that he'll WWE it with Djokovic, and he'll he'll get tagged in and take care of that fan. Man, this guy, <laughs> the bromance. Yes, the, the, man. I, I don't even <laughs> want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah you know i i like Djokovic's attitude a bit you know i like that he's a little more confrontational i like he doesn't entertain the fluff obviously we know that there needs to be a level of professionalism between him and the crowd yes and that the crowd is going to not root for you sometimes they're going to root against you sometimes i don't think that that's a free pass for people to say personal attacks at players but i don't know what the fan said so yes you know, if the fan just said, you suck, you deserve to lose, I don't want you to win, anything like that, okay, cool. You know, shut up, Djokovic, don't say anything. Now, if the fan starts doing personal attacks towards maybe his family or his friends or derogatory personal things that are outside the sport, that should not be allowed. Um, and it shouldn't be tolerated by anyone. So, depending on what happened, and maybe we'll find out later, that would give me my true response. Yes, uh, this isn't the first time Djokovic has altercation with fans. As a matter of fact, he tries to pick out a fan and just focus on that fan so he can get pumped up. Mm. So the fact that Ben Shelton is doing a hanging up the phone type thing, and yet Djokovic is doing all that, is calling the pot, calling the kettle black. So Absolutely. I think that's ridiculous on his part. So now the big, big news, last topic. The big, big news is that the AO is actually allowing people to move during points mm. it used to be to where um especially on the lower coast like uh, lower courts excuse me like the john kane court mm. and all that they're moving during the point and people have complained that it's especially on returning which is odd mm. you would think that when you're tossing up the ball it's more distracting than when you're returning yeah but the pros are saying that it's more distracting when they're returning mm. that and they don't like the fact that the fans are moving so much and being able to talk more mm. instead of quieting quieting them down mm. what are your thoughts on that um yeah i agree you know especially in the lower area i think they should do something more similar to other sports where if you're in the lower bowl like the line of sight of the pro athletes you cannot get up or you cannot move and distract if you're sitting up higher outside of line of sight free reign do whatever you want but that immediate line of sight it just doesn't make sense to take away from the sport I, I just don't understand the purpose of that um i think that you're just hindering the experience yes so you know i'm with the players on this one yes i agree i mean i don't know what the australian open is trying to do here but uh this isn't if they're trying to do like a basketball thing going on to where they move they talk all the time that this isn't basketball the fans need to uh, respect the rules and just yeah. stay there and that's what separates tennis from every other sport yeah so just leave it at that uh, is there anything else uh, you'd like to add or any more topics you have um no i, I am curious about your your thoughts have we as we've seen a bit more 
from the Australian Open on both the men's and women's sides. Have your opinions changed on who you anticipate going to into second week? Who's going to win it? Who? Where's your head at with all this? To tell you the truth, Djokovic is looking sloppy. Yeah, he lost. He lost a set in each round he's played. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's complaining about his wrist. Apparently, he's been having or fighting off a cold or something. Mm-hmm. So he's been complaining about that. Um, Iga just uh, had a tough, tough match with uh, Collins. Uh, Sabalenka is still cruising. I'm, I'm still. I, I think Alcaraz. He's playing uh, Sanego right now or Sanego. I think it's still going to be Alcaraz, um, Rublev. They're going to be there. Not Rublev, sorry. Uh, Sinner. They're mm-hmm. going to be there. And nothing's really going to change on the men's side. Mm-hmm. As far as the women, Sabalenka's looking good. Iga just uh, had a, a tough match. So I think she she's passing the test. Mm-hmm. How about yourself? Um, I, I'm i excited to see. I can't remember whose quarter Zverev is in. But I think that that's someone that is going to be a major threat on route to the final for everyone. So I want people to keep an eye out for Zverev on the men's side and on the women's side. I I have a hot take, and it's that we maybe we don't see an Iga Australian Open winner. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sabalenka and I want to say Rabakina both look very good. Yes. Um, I'm loving our women's big three. I'm really loving it. Um, I I would like to see a bigger year for Rabakina this year, um, just to kind of round us out and give us that completion because Sabalenka seems to have figured it out. She's she's a little bit more there and present mentally, and she's performing. So you know, assuming that she can maintain her serve percentages, this is going to be a crazy Grand Slam. And just a quick uh, stat here. Uh, Coco Goff is knocking on that door of that big three. Oh, yes, she Yet, is. Whether people like it or not. As a matter of fact, Brad Gilbert is her current coach, and he used to coach one of the greatest servers, arguably, of all time, which mm-hmm. is Andy Roddick. Mm-hmm. Now, Roddick has been helping Coco Goff on her serve, mm-hmm. and you can see it. She's actually landing in the court now. Uh, going up more to the ball mm-hmm. her serve isn't a liability as much anymore on do side she would always serve to the forehand she's able to mix it up a lot more now so mm-hmm. i i keep my eye on coco Goff. yeah i agree i think that she's definitely the spirit of the women's bracket who will possibly be the threat that people aren't paying attention to and she'll round out the top four for the women yes so uh, with that i hope you guys were entertained Adiós, ATP.